In this episode, the word crazy was used by a few of our pundits to talk about situations that are bizarre or surprising to them, uh, especially in an episode where we touch upon disassociative identity disorder and the relationship between the representation of mental illness and the representation of queer folks. I should have stated something on stage, but that was my fault for not. Uh, I wanted to state that I have discussed this with our pundits, and we will strive to not use words associated with mental illness like that in the future. Uh, in those contexts. I wanted to prepare you for that before the episode got underway. Is it transphobic? We'll be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, this is Ashley Lauren Rogers, and thank you so much for listening. Happy Halloween. Uh, We're going to just get things underway with Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, but before we start, I just wanted to say a big thank you to The Tank. The Tank, if you don't know, are a theater that offer their services for free in New York City. Uh, Their big thing is you just have to come see a show, talk to them afterwards, and then get their information, have a show ready to go, and they'll give you space. It's a really amazing thing that they do, and you can support them by going to thetanknyc.org. If you have anything that you'd like to put up, just, again, come out, see one of their shows, give them your support, give them whatever you can so that they can help continue to foster theater in a very, very inexpensive way. Uh, They give you everything that you need. So, absolutely... If you have a show, consider the tank. Uh, so, hi everyone. I'm Ashley Lauren Rogers, the producer of the Is a Transphobic podcast. Uh, today, we are here to talk about Psycho. Yeah, the Alfred Hitchcock classic, not the Gus Van Zandt remake. Uh, that said, with Psycho today, there are a couple of things that I want to get out of the way. Number one, when I first talked to my uh, my pundits about the, the movie, I said, okay, we're going to do Psycho. And they said, Psycho killer, qu'est-ce que c'est? <laughs> to which, after watching the movie, they said, Psycho killer, qu'est-ce que hey? <laughs> all the jokes I got. All right, uh, <laughs> so we're going to do some analysis. I'm going to interview a good friend of mine who has some insight into thrillers, uh, specifically acting in thrillers, my friend Keita Updike, who is here. Uh, and we are also going to play a game. So it's a whole new world for these, the transphobic podcast. That said, with that in mind, what we are going to do right now, I'm going to welcome some really awesome folks to the stage. Uh, so first off, let me welcome to the stage. AJ Mattioli is a trans producer, director, has been fully engulfed in the in entertainment industry for the last 16 years. Seven years ago, AJ decided it was time to work directly with the LGBTQ community and started producing his own film. His film, Words, has recently been released on Amazon, and since its release, AJ was launched into becoming an accidental advocate, and he could not be more thrilled. Now, 2018-2019 releases will be a suspenseful thriller titled Roll of a Lifetime, a love story, Neon Boys, and his newest docuseries, My First Time. 
But you can see his cult horror film, Killer Unicorn, showing on October 29th at Newfest. So first, please welcome to the stage, AJ Marioli. I asked everyone to give me a bio, and most people did. Some people didn't. For that person, I am just going to talk about how awesome tigers are. Now, I don't know if you know this, but tigers are the largest member of the felid, or cat family. Here's Silas Barrett. AJ is so cool, I'm kind of glad you just talked about tigers instead. It made me sound better. Thought I had everything in order. That's okay. All right, so uh, we're splitting this up into a couple of different analyses. Uh, first off, we're welcoming AJ and Silas because A, uh, I've been on a lot of horror uh, episodes with Silas and AJ, uh, and AJ shared this with me after I had already assigned him to this, but he wrote his thesis on one of the topics that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, bear, remember though, like, uh, I've been in the business for 16 years, which means my thesis was more than 16 years ago. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I, I went over it and remembered uh, a lot of it fondly of, of hours into the night writing about these things, so yes. Perfect. So let's talk about specifically the Motion Picture Production Code, or as it's called, uh, AJ, what is the official name for it again? It's the... the oh, 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 oh. I mean, I, I would... Um, I mean, officially, it's the MPA, um, but uh, it started off as, even prior to the Hayes Code, um, I would say um, the rating system itself started in like 1928, um, or actually in earlier than that, in 1898, uh, it started, we started uh, censoring what could be on, and then it's kind of gone up till 2018 on this uh, rating code, you know, with the Rated G, PG, PG-13, R, and NC-17, uh, and uh, this is where we are now, and that, that continues to change uh, with television, video games, and any kind of media. Um, uh, the only thing that you know uh, isn't rated that should be is the news, I think, at this point. Um, <laughs> but everything has a rating on it at this point, uh, mm. since as early as uh, we started realizing that people want to put as me included, smut on, on television. Um, so, you know, we quickly got into that and now we have what we have currently, which is I think is pretty pretty important uh, just to know what you're going into. And now what are some of the things that were affected, uh, particularly prior to 1960? Uh, I know Psycho was released in 1960. Uh, were there certain, like, I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but LGBTQ issues were affected under this code, correct? Yeah, it wasn't um, directly uh, stated as homosexuality or transgender characters. Um, it was talked about as a sexual uh, perversion. Uh, so instead of just saying homosexuality and calling us out, it was uh, called a you know, uh, sexual perversion, but it was on a list of, I mean, there was at least 25 things in the Hayes Code that, uh, that were rules and regulations. You know, when you see old, old things from prior to, you know, 19, really 1945, um, you won't see like people in the same bed, you won't see any kind of bra, so like, there was a lot that went into it, um, and homosexuality was definitely you know, one of them, but 
remarkably not the big not the biggest. I mean, it was like drinking and drugs and you know uh, anything that the Roman Catholics seemed to think was. Uh, and I roll my eyes to that because I went to Catholic school for 15 years, so I'm allowed to. <laughs> but uh, it was anything that they deemed uh, bad or morally uh, corrupt. Um, and as you know, uh, and then government got involved, um, you know, and then and then you know, like Hollywood liberals do, we eventually just kind of stopped paying attention and and just put things out the way we wanted to, which was kind of great. And it kind of just phased out towards uh, by the time Psycho was made by the 1960s, um, it was phased out by I want to say 57 completely. Mm. Yeah. And now there was one specific rule in Psycho which Psycho broke. Uh, and they were able to do that. Do you remember what it was? Because I, I have the answer to this. I'm just curious if either of you, uh, I see Silas smiling. <laughs> Does that mean you I know? Guess. Yeah. They show a toilet. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the toilet. It's the toilet yep. that she oh. flushes paper down the toilet. And I mm-hmm. don't think they'd ever shown a toilet on film before. Right, because they finally showed a, a bathroom on Leave it to Beaver. It was the first time they showed a bathroom. And it was like, Rand- I, don't, I didn't even watch the show, but randomly I know this. I was um, the Beeve playing with boats in the in the bathtub, um, and I thought, pro- and I I'm trying to remember that scene. I don't think I saw a toilet in that either. Mm. And that was as late as the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> creates a terrifying idea of the leave it to beaver like because that's supposed to be from like a lot of these folks like oh this is the pinnacle of american families and they don't even have a toilet <laughs> like american t- families don't poop yeah. <laughs> oh that's why oh. we're so full of shit all the time <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> wonderful um so so, so we talked a little bit about that. The other topic that I wanted to cover was the inspiration for the original novel and also the movie Psycho was uh, the serial killer Ed Gein, or Ed Gein, depending on who you ask. Uh, I'm going to pronounce it however I feel like it because that guy can go fuck himself. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious if either of you have any experience uh, looking up Ed Gein, looking at like how he inspired, because he inspired a lot of horror characters later on. I'm not an expert because it's so funny that I should be like doing all these horror things yeah. with you because I do not like horror <laughs> <laughs> and I do not like scary things. And I have so many people who are obsessed with like podcasts and stories that are about serial killers and I'm just like, mm, no. So I only know the <laughs> basics about Ed Gein, but um, one of the things that stuck out in my mind when I was vaguely researching him uh, was the objects and clothing made out of human parts that and and the other thing was that like he was a serial killer but he also uh, scavenged graveyards yeah. so he would go to graveyards and and like bring back body parts to like make waste paper baskets and leggings out of and I mean, and that really seems to be something that has stuck in our our psyche the idea and interestingly i even wrote a short story years ago before i had learned any of this about a society that gains magical powers by making clothes out of each other's skin, which I'm just realizing now is a thing that I did. Which you can hear on the Is It Transphobic podcast. It's called My Teacher, My Enemy, but yeah. Um. (laughs) I didn't write a bio, so I had to plug myself for a second. Well, there was was a theory that uh, Gein also was in some way homosexual. Um, this was not corroborated with any evidence other than he was obsessed with his mother, 
Um, and after his mother's death, he would like ward off areas of the house where his mother had spent a fairly large amount of time. Uh, and so I wonder, particularly looking at Psycho, listening to that piece of news, whether this would be something that um, relates. Like, I mean, I, I, I would say, um, I mean, as far as, you know, the wearing of, of other skin, I mean, I think, you know, uh, like I don't, I think there's actually a very important quote uh, in Psycho that uh, the, he, the therapist at the end says, um, you know, he's only, he was only half himself this whole time and now he'll never go back. And I kind of feel like um, in a very morbid, screwed up world, like I would love to just take like George Clooney's body and make a body suit and be him. So I mean like, <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, granted, I'm, I'm talking like George Clooney. You know, I mean, like he, he was like the guy that everyone. So I'm like, I could, I could see how there's, there's loose, loose ties there. Well, Edgain also killed his brother, mm. alleged, like the, supposedly, yeah. to have his mom all to himself. Mm. Was the, was the, yeah. the theory? He never like said that was why, but that's what they sort of thought that he was sort of jealous of his mother's attention to other people, and, and um, there was a wildfire that was started when they were burning brush on their farm because that's what people in the country do. I can say that because I'm from the country. <laughs> and uh, his brother was later found dead, and they think that it was him, and they think that it was because he just loved his mom so much. I mean, that's a good son, I think. Right. My mom would be so happy if I wanted to kill my right. sister for her. She'd be like, "Don't." She would be like, "Don't do it." But like, thanks for loving me so much. You love much. me so much. Yeah. Yeah, I no appreciate the want. emotion. Do not act on this. No, no. <laughs> I'm not coming off great in this podcast. I no, be I'm really, I'm really worried about you, AJ. Honestly. It's Halloween. It's, it's yeah, spooky. It's Halloween. <laughs> I've been watching too much Netflix uh, Halloween <laughs> stuff, and I've just, it's in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, specifically, like I'm wondering where people get the idea that he was homosexual. Like, because, and I, I'm trying to think if this is sort of tied into a lot of my issue with, uh, and I talked about this a little bit during our episode on Split, the idea that um, people associate, particularly folks with uh, dissociative identity disorder with uh, some form of gender variance, and also the idea that A, both are, are negative, and B, that both sort of like this idea that he loved his mother so much must mean that he's gay. <laughs> it's just this, like, that, like, that's the only thing I've seen that has any kind of evidence. Yeah. And yeah. that trope always confuses me a lot. Like, this idea that being gay would make you more affectionate towards your opposite gender parent. Mm. Sometimes I feel like it's just, it's a, that's a girly thing to do, right? Like, you're a mama's boy, so you've already started down, you know, society's supposed path. Like, first you act a little girly, and then you're gay, and then you're, you know, a transvestite, and there's like a whole thing where people mm. usually view, view that as just one identity. There's either like normal or there's that. So I always assume that that's the kind of idea, you know, you always see that sort of trope where they're like, oh, my son's gone soft because his mom gives him cookies, you know, and like <laughs> tells him it's okay to have feelings, yeah. like that kind of thing. So I always assume that that's where it comes from. And I also think that as a society, we're really obsessed with um, how people who are assigned male at birth perform sexuality. 
and if they don't visibly perform sexuality, we assume that they have sexuality, we're just not seeing it, so they must be hiding it, so they must be gay. We don't account for asexuality, we don't account for yeah. the idea that maybe they have a sexuality but they can't act on it or they, they're, you know, and it's, there's always that assumption too, I think. So you look at these people and you're like, well, I already have this idea that they're perverse and weird. Also, they never had a girlfriend. Clearly he was a homosexual. Yeah. Like that's the society's. And I think, I think just to go back to like your, um, your statement about like, you know, uh, what we think masculinity means, and if you're if you're not hyper-masculine, then, you, you know, you might be gay, and if you're close with your mom and you're sensitive, you might be gay. Um, and, I, and, and I will always, you know, I think we were saying it earlier, like, if I don't, if you don't want to punch the person you were five years ago, you're not growing enough as a person. Um, and, and I personally would lay out the person I was five years ago. Um, and I think that has to do with this uh, pushing of what masculinity means, and, and it's rampant within the trans male community, um, you know, where we feel that, like, we have to overcompensate sometimes. Uh, I was definitely, you know, years ago, um, you know, to make sure no one, because the way I, the people I hang out with are all gay men, and the way I, I talk and the way I carry myself is very, you know, Brooklyn gay, you know, um, as, as it is, uh, you know, and I felt like, oh my God, well, people are going to think I'm a homosexual, so, like, I have to like butch it up and like, oh man, did you see that girl's titties? Oh, oh. like and like now I'm like so disgusted by the fact that I I did that. But there was there is something about this like, oh my god, like that 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 idea that like if you don't do it this way, you're doing it wrong. Um, and like as we grow and like you know we we become different people. Um, you know I was when I I first started testosterone was three years ago. I came out as trans ten years ago. Um, so relatively older. Uh, comparatively, and, you know, I get it. I get why if I was doing it at 27, trying to do this hyper-masculinity thing, I get it why I see these, like, 18-year-old and 17-year-old boys, like, being assholes and, and acting macho, and, and I get it, and I kind of see it as a rite of passage, but I think that it um, also has to do a lot with we're shown and told what it means to be masculine, and I think that just goes into, if you're a little bit feminine, you're gay. Um, and it's less about the actually being a homosexual and just appearing as, you know, a, a gentle soul. And when I came out as trans, someone very close to me told me that there was no way I could be a man because I was too affectionate towards my dog. <laughs> I guess we don't wrestle enough. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you had a cat, I would totally agree with that statement. <laughs> but. So uh, before we switch topics, I wanted to know uh, there's there's also this idea that because of these uh, like the the idea of people showing quote unquote perversity uh, and only showing it if you're going to show it in like an evil manner like these people have to be evil so therefore they're they're kind of like this they're very like mincing et cetera et cetera uh, if we could talk about this idea that actually instead of uh, th there was a quote that like, oh, they thought that that would turn people away from being gay when in reality it just made all the gay people want to be villains. <laughs> and <laughs> I wonder if we could kind of talk about that for a second. Like, <laughs> do you want to be a villain? I mean, I know AJ does because AJ <laughs> wants to wear George Clooney's skin. It's true. <laughs> and, and have his paycheck. <laughs> um, I, think that, I think that definitely um, from what I can tell within my community is we definitely do identify with the villains. I think that, especially when it comes to um, 
Disney. Uh, there's definitely the attachment to the Disney villains. They're always the outcast. They always and they always dress so fabulously. And um, I definitely think there's a an attraction to being the villain. Um, you know, uh, there was a game called God that was out on computers back when I was in high school. God, so so long ago. Um, and you had the choice uh, to be uh, good or evil. And they had to stop using the game online because no one was choosing to be good. Um, so there was no, there was no fighting. It was just like dead people. So I think that there is overall in in culture this want to be able to do bad and not get caught mm -hmm. and be more um, superior to somebody else and make you a little bit more evil. But I think also as watching like horror movies where LGBT characters such as Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, which is also you know two gay men who essentially are just really into rope play and it goes a little too far. Um, <laughs> I heard. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, you know, and it's this idea of like being a villain and being sexy and, uh, and sometimes being a villain is very sexy and I think that um, that's, that kind of attributes to the want. Uh, and as far as gay people, I mean, I, I kind of like watching a horror, uh, you know, a villain killing and, and, and murdering and, and saying, you know, like, hey, we're just like you. We get angry too, murder, <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's crazies in Is all of us. Is that the way to do it? Is I, the murder? Know, <laughs> if it gets rid of some white people. Okay. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a friend of mine who was struggling with some of the stuff that's going on in the, in the world right now and the crazy, evil capitalist overlords mm -hmm. was asking me if I thought it was possible for art to be subver subversive and good now, now, as though it wasn't always true, but that it was funded by these giant mega corporations like Disney and, and, and Amazon and all these people. And, and I was thinking about that and how mostly that has always been true. I mean, it's certainly getting worse, but it's always been big companies with money paying artists with no money to create content. And people forget that artists tend to be liberal. They tend to be queer. So they find ways to include these things even when it's not allowed. And I, I always feel like I can usually tell very quickly when I watch something if the queer-coded villain was made by somebody who likes queer people, who maybe is queer, who is sympathetic to that, and this was the place where they could get it in. There's a reason Ursula has the best song yeah. in Ariel. It's not, you know, versus like if you just watch, you know, some of these slasher films or whatever where you see like, oh, this is just like, ew, it's gay or whatever, and it's gonna come for your children. And that, I think, um, is, is something that, like, if you are queer, if you are somewhere that you're, you're gonna notice that and you're gonna pick up on that. And that's where you get this idea that we all wanna be villains or that we're all attracted to villains. I always wanna be the hero, but I wanna be the hero who has, like, the opposite side of the coin villain, and we're always in that, like, sexy, push-pull thing, <laughs> where like, you are you buddies. gonna be good, or are you gonna push me over the edge into being bad, like that thing. <laughs> yeah. um, Fantastic. I, I will say, uh, just going back to uh, when you were asking what makes us think that Anthony Perkins' character is gay in that film, mm. um, there is a throwaway line in it that is kind of his mom calling him gay, is uh, um, instead of saying the wine cellar, they say the fruit cellar. Uh, yeah, huh. and the, the mother goes. Uh, the mother goes. You're not gonna. The mother goes. You're not gonna put me in the fruit uh, cellar again. Why are you gonna put me there? Do you think I'm fruity? 
And and like huh. uh, yeah, and it's just a throwaway line. It like I feel like it was probably improv, and they were just like, yeah, say it. That's hysterical. And like it's it's just a voiceover, and she's, um, you know, the Crane sister is, is is sitting there and hears this, and I always thought that that was kind of him calling himself gay. I kind of huh. like that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So we are going to move on to the next topic, but before we do, uh, I got to say we have a sponsor today. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to have, uh, so we're going to hear a word from our sponsor uh, as we head down to the fruit cellar. <laughs> My business was in trouble. They said, Norman, don't buy that motel. It's a bad investment. How could it be a bad investment? It's at the top of a hill, so everybody driving by will be able to see it. My house is a stone's throw away, so I won't have to worry about my commute. And there's plenty of room, which is good, because my mother is sick, and I have to take care of her. And so the Gates Motel was born. But the people, the, the clients, they didn't come. I tried everything. Got a big old sign advertising Gates Motel. We have HBO, full kitchens, and large working showers. But still no one came. We were losing all our savings. It was like we were funneling money down the drain. Until we started using Jasper mattresses. Jasper mattresses are made using space-age technology to ensure you have the best night's sleep. People were nervous at first, but they, eventually they started coming. And now we're finally making money. I wish that I had gotten Jasper mattresses sooner. <laughs> also, I wish that I had watched Psycho like everyone re recommended. I, uh, yeah, I probably would have made a lot of different decisions had I watched that movie ahead of time. <laughs> All right, so our guest today is a model and actress. You may have seen her on Hulu's Difficult People in the movie The Misandrists, and the new podcast through Gimlet Media, The Horror of Dolores Roach. Please welcome to the stage, Keita Updike. Uh, hi, everybody. <laughs> I'm actually so excited to be here. I remember when we did that um, panel, mm -hmm. I was like, you told me about it. I was like, I want to do Oh, good. Yeah. No, I'm so glad that we were able to get you on, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so impressed just hearing, you know, both of you talk so well-spoken and so in informing me on things I didn't know about the transmasculine community as well. There are a lot of things I don't know. I think that's like a maybe an intersection, maybe as a person who's a trans femme, trans woman, maybe there's not enough communication there. And so some things that I may have thought that I observed before in the trans masculine community, there were like some answers there. And it was just nice. It was nice to hear that. And so yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited. Awesome. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I started listening to uh, The Horror of Dolores Roach. You did? Give me your thoughts. I really love it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like love about it? So it's very intense. Uh, but it, it does a really good job of sort of building that intensity, uh, and a lot of the, the characters are just like, they feel very real. Mm -hmm. And I particularly, like at first, because I know like one of the first things <laughs> that your character is described as is the, the T-slur. Yeah. Uh, but I think that, yeah, but I think like once we move away from that, like you... It's not really about that. No. It's like, oh, she's just some teenage girl who's... Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
And I think that there's like a certain like vulnerability that your character has that sort of like makes once, and I don't want to give away any of the shocking twists that happen in it, but like particularly when you're you're just the act of asking people if they want a sample of an empanada right. is terrifying to me. And it's just like, ah, no, 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 I don't want that empanada. <laughs> like I mean, I was listening to it. Um, I, I was talking to uh, the man who wrote it, and um, he, <laughs> okay, so I'm one of those actors, actresses who just reads their part and just like, <laughs> not, out of, not out of spite or anything like that, but I just, you know, memorize what I need to do and I just, you know, and also too, like it kind of helps me, especially unless there's something pertinent to my character that happens that would inform how it would act later. I yeah. don't re usually read the other things, so. Um, uh, Daphne Rimvega and Bobby Cannavale, who are the two stars of it, um, just their relationship and some of the things that goes between them. I was sitting there, I was texting him, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he did that. I was like, oh, this is so great. And I was, you know, and it, it was just so, and I, and um, myself as well, I'm not a horror, you know, fan. I'm I, not in any way, shape or form. I don't, I, I I have a mind that goes crazy. So when I try to go to bed at night and I shut my eyes, you know, I will think the killer is there. So I really have to be careful about what I watch. Sometimes I'm like, oh, that seems interesting. I'm like, nope, I know I can't handle that. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised and I, I think it's really great, um, yeah. Yeah, because I know like I, I maybe five episodes in and I was marathoning it for the five episodes and then I got to episode maybe like five or six and I was just like, I need to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so good. But I think also because podcast is a medium, while some people do listen to them on speakers, like I'm always listening on my headphones and so the my audio is like right there. Yeah. And I think that that really lends itself to thrillers as a genre. And yeah. yeah. And it's kind of a departure for um, Gimlet. I don't know. If it's, uh, there are other two shows, Homecoming and... Sandra were more um, maybe sitcom or drama-ish. There were, I mean, even down to the music, the music is much different. It's more experimental than it is um, the other two uh, uh, projects they've done. Or this is a much more explicit project. You know, um, I was shocked by how explicit it was too, because none of my parts. It's interesting because other stuff I've done, I've done a lot of work where I do all the explicit things. <laughs> Commonly, I'm cast as like the, the young whore, or <laughs> so. Uh, it was nice to be a, in a different light for this, um, and I was shocked. I mean, it was great. It was just great. I, I think the only thing was like, oh gosh, I told my mom to listen to this. <laughs> And I'm from I'm from Mike Pence country. I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, um, yeah. So telling my mother to listen to this, not that she hasn't heard things before. I was just like, oh gosh, mom. Just so you know, um, there's stuff. There's explicit things. It's not me who's doing it, so you don't have to worry about that. But it's other characters. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 very well written. Um, I will say too, I was I was shocked. I was reading. You know how they say not to read reviews or don't read like um, things like that. I was shocked to read somebody had the, um, a journalist had the unmitigated gall to say that um, this podcast is great, but Daphne Ruben Vega's character would be so much better if she didn't use that street accent. Mind you, this is a podcast based in Washington Heights and she is a Latina woman mm. and she's, she is like mm. legitimately, you know, from, I think she's from, Venezuela or Guatemala, one of those two. I'm sorry, Daphne. Um, so it's like, um, what do you expect her to sound like? She sounds real. This is a white, middle-aged journalist male. Yeah. 
who say anything. So it's just, you know, it, this is the stuff that needs to be out there. It's great, but, you know, there's always some, like, somebody trying to poke into the silver lining of it all. Right? Oh, of course. Yeah. So that actually brings me to some of the questions that I wanted to bring you up here of for. Of course. Because obviously we're talking about Psycho. Yes. Uh, so I was wondering if you could, like, what is the process you go through when you're offered a role? Like, what do you, what do, you do when you're given an offer? Um... Well, I always want to see the sides, but also on top of that, I always want to see a script. Sometimes I don't, um, I think especially not even just being an actor in general, but um, being somebody of the trans experience, um, if, the si if the side is to play a trans character, I want to read all of it because sometimes I don't get a good idea from the side that they send for the audition. Um, sometimes I'm like, whoa, what, 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 oh, okay, no, that's weird, that's wrong. Um, and that happens a lot of times. I, um, especially when it's not written by somebody who's either consulted a trans person or that um, is trans themselves. I remember reading or getting a script for um, a pilot for a well-known um, uh, channel, and it was something like the girl, she's like, well, I can't say exactly what it was because people might know what it is <laughs> if it still comes out. Okay. But I will say specifically, um, at one point, the cis woman says to the girl, um, oh, I didn't know you were trans. Oh, but you're so pretty and stuff like that. And and I know, oh, and yeah. I know, <laughs> I know that that happens, that happens to be a um, general idea that maybe cis people think that they're being, um, they're affirming or they're, just in their head they don't think that's a bad thing, but sometimes, uh, or all times, you know, it's not really a compliment or um, uh, it's, 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 it's a, it's a detriment to what does trans mean or what do you, does that mean you have to look like or um, I've heard people who are cis or even other trans people, um, I don't know if this happens in the trans masculine community, but I know definitely to trans women, they're like, oh, uh, why did you even transition? Because you'll never look like this or you look like that, things like that. And to yeah. me, that is a different version of that, but it's like, oh, well, thank God, at least you looked you know, good, mm -hmm. so okay, good, good on you. you know? So I just, to me, that makes me uncomfortable in a script because it's not just about me, it's also about whether I want it to be or not, it's about the rest of the trans community as well. So that's something I have to take into consideration mm -hmm. um, when accepting a script too, is like, what, it, what are my peers gonna think about this? Mm -hmm. um, um, it's not really a area where you can just be greedy for the money, you have to think. Yeah. No, and there's, there's no need to put down the rest of the trans community for yeah. like, yeah, like, yes, okay, you, like it, it sounds like it's a positive thing, like, oh, you know, like, oh, you look great, I, did, I wouldn't know, it's like, okay. So you're saying trans people are ugly. It's like, whoa, no, that's, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so with a role like, say, uh, because, you know, we, we've talked about Psycho, we've talked about uh, Sleepaway Camp in the past, we've talked about a bunch of things where it's, uh, the, the reveal is very, <laughs> very problematic, we'll say. Um, like, I'm, I'm wondering if there are scripts that you've come across that you're really excited about because either like you get to play something like that or subvert that and yeah, like. Well, um, speaking of, if we're talking about reveals and things like that, um, in the, have you seen The Messengers? 
it's, it's hard to, to yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's an independent film, so, you know, it's not easily accessible. Mm. Um, it's just come out on DVD, so you can go buy oh, it good. on Amazon. Okay. Um, basically, in the movie, there is a scene where I, um, I have a reveal, but it's a, a, a bodily reveal that reveals genitalia. Spoiler alert. Mm. Probably should have said that before I said the movie, whatever. <laughs> but um, that was a point of contention uh, with the filmmaker and I, I was really um, not sure if I was comfortable with that. I knew um, that there would be a lot of sexuality in the film and um, I kn it wasn't like that was something they sprung on me. Mm. I, 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 when I took it, I was like, okay, I can do this, but I wasn't quite ready for how much it would affect me in the moment doing it. Um, and so it turned out really well in the end. He gave me, which a lot of directors or producers don't let you do, I got final cut of what it would be. He's like, here it is with oh. this, and here it is with that, and what do you feel? Um, but uh, uh, I eventually was just like, okay, just leave it in, because it wasn't a gratuitous um, reveal. Mm -hmm. You know, like there might be in Psycho uh, or some other movies, like um, even more recently like The Hangover 2 or whatever mm -hmm. when they show mm -hmm. the, you know and One Night in Bangkok you know and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't like that it, mm -hmm. it had to do with pushing the story along in the sense that there's a spy amongst this group of girls and they're kind of wondering why I don't um, why I don't join in like why I don't have my period at the same time as them or why I'm not partaking in like there we have this um, sort of ideology is like lesbian love is the only acceptable form of love so we all have mm -hmm. to make love and I my character does not choose to make love with Ruku. so it's it's this um, spy character kind of uh, uh, revealing that but not in like a, a, a to me it didn't seem gratuitous mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah so I think it really matters about what the reason behind it is, um, if it's just for laughs and giggles, or if it's to generally move the story along um, and not be made the butt of a joke. Mm. Yeah. So final question before we move on to another topic. Yeah. Would you ever play a killer? Is that something that is off the table, just because of especially like with things like Psycho and Sleepaway Camp, et cetera, et cetera, or is it something that you w are open to? I don't, I, to me it doesn't matter. Um, I I don't, um, or at least I, I would like to think we'd live in a world um, that where um, all the parts that I go in don't necessarily evolve around being trans. So mm -hmm. I don't think, so when I look at things like that, it being a villain or a killer um, to me doesn't necessarily have to equate to um, being other or being queer or something like, like you both were talking about. Um, so as long as that's not the reason, it's not driven by that fact, mm. I see no reason why I shouldn't play a killer or push myself to that. I mean, I haven't done anything like that yet, so why not? Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yay. <laughs> All right. So as you probably saw, my note cards fell all over the floor. So we're going to go all sorts of, let's see, we're so close. All right, great. Uh, so up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the, the monologue that was addressed in the first part of the 
uh, podcast, The Psychiatrist. So awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, once again, you can get The Misandrist now on Amazon, right? And you can get The Horror of Dolores Roach on Gimlet Media or any podcast provider app you listen to. Awesome. Thank you so much, Keita Updike. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about this psychiatrist monologue. Uh, for that, I'm going to welcome back to the stage AJ Mattioli. And one of our other panelists, uh, Joe Goforth, is a non-binary sex educator, stage manager, and sailor that can be found publishing erotica on their Patreon name of the same name. Please welcome to the stage, Joe Goforth. All right, so uh, I printed out the monologue, the one that, uh, the, the infamous one, so to speak. Uh, would either of you like to read it? The answer can be no, and I will happily read it. <laughs> I just want to know, would either of you like to read it? I'm, I'm more than happy with you reading it. Actually. Okay. <laughs> so at the very end of the film, uh, basically they're talking about whether uh, the psychiatrist who talked to Norman is uh, basically like, what, what is this? So he's his mother? And it's like, no, okay. So why was he dressed like that? The district attorney replies, he's a transvestite. Very, very exuberantly, I might add. <laughs> so he replies, he's a transvestite. To which the psychiatrist says, not exactly. <laughs> a man who dresses in women's clothing in order to achieve a sexual change or satisfaction is a transvestite. <laughs> I hope you can hear the eye roll. Uh, <laughs> but in Norman's case, he was simply doing everything possible to keep alive the illusion of his mother being alive. And whenever reality came too close, when danger or desire threatened that illusion, he'd dress up, even to a cheap wig he brought. And he'd walk about the house, sit in her chair, speak in her voice. He tried to be his mother. And now he is. <laughs> Now, I like so I've seen Psycho multiple times, uh, and the f the this monologue stuck out to me. Uh, they were showing it for free out in New York. I want to say like at the not the Met, but like at one of the like New York institutions that show free movies like over the summer. Bryant Park stuff. Yeah, the Bryant Park one. Uh, and I remember seeing that monologue and thinking, "Hey, that's kind of progressive." And then. Let's do a little deep dive. And then it keeps going. Yeah, and then it keeps going. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, no, no, it is not. Um, I mean, they clearly tried to be like, well, this is a thing that exists. And they were like, well, it's not that. It's something else. Yeah. They were like, it's not a trans thing. It's something else. Yeah. yeah. Which I, d I only watched it for the podcast, and I didn't know that that moment happened. So I was like, they can distinguish between multiple <laughs> things. Mm -hmm. Who knew? Um, mm -hmm. So for that, I was surprised. But still, yeah. like. Hot garbage, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and, and and on this podcast, we've talked a lot about, um, I mean, my movie words and 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 how words, uh, overall for me, are just they just, it's just so intriguing how they can change. Um, you know, uh, as much as we don't utilize that definition for transvestite anymore, um, I want to say up until Chu Wong Fu, we were still using that as a definition for what a transvestite was, regardless if it was correct or not, um, that is a huge LGBTQ film, uh, and, and I believe, um, uh, I can't remember the, the actor's name that, that says that, like, when he's explaining, like, 
well, you're just a boy in a dress, and uh, you know, to the other drag queen, uh, and then he talks about what a transvestite is. Um, and although we don't use that word, uh, that terminology anymore, it is important to remember like this was 1960, um, and I always use the word queer as an example. Like mm. right now, I identify very, like very much with the term queer and, and queer and proud. But if you called me a queer 15 years ago, I would have knocked your teeth in, because queer now is we've we've taken that word back, and 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 uh, in my opinion, we've taken that word back and have made it mean something positive, and even added it onto LGBT and put the Q there. You know, um, whereas 15 years ago, you know, 20 years ago. That word was very much uh, had a a poor connotation to it, um, a, a, a negative connotation to it. Um, so as much as like, and we've talked about this like in the yeah. past, as much as like these movies now we could watch and cr oh, and cringe, you know. Oh God, that, that's <laughs> no, stop saying that. Um, I think it is important to like in 1960, like hmm. I'll 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 take it for educating the masses that hmm. were very not where they should, you know, like it was, it was something, it was something. Yeah. I mean, I, I will also admit, and it, it's always hard to talk about this necessarily without thinking about intersectionality and how, as much as we're like kind of celebrating that, okay, they're making this distinction that this is not that, at the same time, they're also throwing people with disassociative identity disorder under the bus. Yeah. And so I, I just think it's important to kind of point that out. But yeah, yeah Which yeah. is why I called it hot garbage. Because yeah. it's yeah. like as much yeah. as it be, might be like, not the worst thing that's ever been ha that's ever happened about trans stuff is really bad about mental illness. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and as somebody with both, I'm like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so. Yeah, <laughs> the two on food thing is also like different because that's that's like a whole different well, I'm thing because it's like it's like drag, it's like RuPaul. Well, it wasn't. Being I wasn't RuPaul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just a totally different. Well, I'm just saying the word of the definition. They define the word transvestite within that film, yeah. and they give like a word for word. So I'm just saying like it's you know it, it's something that we've you know been changing and, and going. Yeah, we like, did a like podcast at, at length. Yeah, we did actually. Yeah, we we've done two on Fu also. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll revisit it. It's a good one. I don't care. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is a really good conversation. Yeah. So so how does this like whether we're talking about this conversation or uh, anything else kind of like flavor psycho because it's like like I feel like it kind of changed the movie for me when I first saw this and I first heard this uh, monologue. Like, does it change anything for you or is it still like, no, this was still this movie. About whether or not it's transphobic? What yeah. do you mean by this? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's stick with the transphobic lens. Like, um, because I know that we're going to ask at the very end whether we thought it was transphobic, but let's talk a little bit, like, based on this, do we think... So, like, you're, I guess what you're asking is, like, if, say, the movie ended with just, like, the cops getting him and, and arresting him, if it just ended there and then didn't go into this, like, hmm. half-assed Psych 101 kind of yeah. monologue. Um, <laughs> would He's a transvestite. Yes. <laughs> I do love. <laughs> I, that's I, it. I, yes. I, yeah, that was the end. Yeah. 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 Oh, all right then. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it, it changed a little bit because there is this one moment where um, the cop is wrestling, uh, mm. or the, the, the lover, the, the mm. murdered woman's lover is wrestling him down, mm. and he has almost this uh, this American Werewolf in London slash split <laughs> like face, where like he's yeah. like he's not oh being yeah. wrestled, it's, and it's yeah. like this yeah, like it looks like he's turning into someone else. And I was like, yo, if they just ended <laughs> yeah. it now, you'd be like, 
Anthony Perkins actually his mom like drew like this like transformation, yeah. and then I was like, oh no, now we're gonna have mm. Psych 101 here. Mm. Oh. <laughs> well, and also just like from a movie perspective, it kind of brings the movie energy down completely to have this entire talk. It's so, so weird. It takes yeah. me. It takes it from a thriller mm. to a, a like a yeah. yeah. I didn't wanna. I didn't wanna yeah. be taught like <laughs> basic psychology from the 1960s at the end mm. of a horror film. Mm. Yeah, it was. It was off. It was off. Mm. Um, about whether it's transphobic or not, I think we've come into this conversation yeah. multiple times versus like intent versus mm -hmm. impact. And I don't think it's, I mean, they explicitly take the time to say that it's not a trans thing, but mm. at the same time, it's investing in this whole culture around if you're defying what you're supposed to do in gender stuff, you are deviant and you are evil and you should kill people. Yeah. So like it becomes a part of this like larger landscape of being trans or being gender non-conforming in some way, what, whatever the motivation is, mm. is harmful. So it doesn't really matter, mm. in my opinion, mm. which I, I, just, I keep saying. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah. that's totally fine. Yeah. Like, I stick to my convictions, and that's yeah. my conviction. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Do you, uh, we have time for one more response if you have a um, response? I just, I just think that we, sh like, when things, when I watch things like that, I try to find the comedy within it. Um, mm. Like, as, tra as, as transphobic or not as it could be, I'm like, who's this psychiatrist that's talking, like, giving a read on a cheap wig? I'm like, who's this gay boy that's like, he even, <laughs> had, he even bought a cheap wig to look like his mom. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, and then the other guy's like, I clearly have sex with transvestites, because I know what this is. So I'm like, you know how, you know, it's more like, what are these two doing on the weekends? <laughs> can I say one other thing? Yes, is you can. Okay? I'm sorry, that was really funny. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be serious again. I'm sorry. Um, there's, I know we're supposed to just be talking about the monologue at the end, but I had a couple quotes from the conversation that he had with uh, Miss Crane, Marion, um, Marion, Marion, yeah. yeah. Um, he has this quote during that where he says, we all have our private traps. I was, I was born in mine, but I don't mind anymore. Um, and then later about his mother, um, he says, I, I don't hate her. I hate what she's become, the illness. So, I mean, they say at the end that it's not trans, but that reads, that reads extremely, yeah. mm. extremely yeah. trans. So that also, those quotes happen too. Mm. Yeah. No, yeah, especially the word, yeah, the just, we all and, have I, and I trap. think that's like would it? I think that kind of answers your question of like would it still have this trans idea within it even if they took out that mm. monologue? Mm. Yeah. Or would it be without that monologue? Yeah. Or would it be? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, we're gonna play a game, but after the game, we're gonna come back and we're actually gonna talk about more uh, the impact as we as was brought up by Joe, the idea of this impact versus intent with movies that were influenced by Psycho. So, thank you so much. Let's get ready to play a game. Yeah. All right, thank you everybody. So, yeah. whoa. right now we're gonna play a game show. This is called My Least Favorite Murder. Okay. So how this is gonna work, we're going to have an audience member answer questions against a ringer, someone that we've brought in, some some person who will try and defeat the audience. Please welcome to the stage, Becca Beberagi. <gasps> yeah. Whoa! Yeah. So I know her. So Becca, you and Keith are going to share a microphone. Absolutely. So uh, Becca Beberagi is a New York City good. writer I'll, and I'll performer. Come, I'll, I'll, you don't gotta be down here. I'll come to you. I'll come to you. 
Podcast is a New York City writer and performer who's been featured on the New York Times and Time Out New York. You might find her workshopping new theater pieces around the city or performing comedy in sometimes sketchy bars. <laughs> she is also the host of the bi-monthly show, So Many Problems, at Union Hall, a show that validates all our problems. Past credits include the Brooklyn Comedy Festival, Finger Lakes Comedy Fest, She Makes Me Laugh, <laughs> She Makes Me Laugh, Fest, Solo Com 2017 and 2018, and host and producer of Pace Magazine's Comedy Night. <laughs> wow. I thought that was going to be in a program. <laughs> <laughs> It was, and then I read it. So, <laughs> uh, and you are going to be facing our audience contestant, our audience volunteer. Tell us who you are and your pronouns, friend. Hey, my name's Keith. I'm, I'm just a plain old cisgender white male, but I'm, I'm trying to fight the good fight, and my, my lover is, is uh, genderqueer and gender fluid, and she expresses herself as female, and you know, uh, I'm, I, I love Ashley Rogers. I work with Ashley Rogers on the trans uh, the gender performance project is yeah. where we met, mm -hmm. and I've been a fan and a friend and a follower for years. So thanks so much for having me. Wow, dedication. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. So you are going to be competing for Halloween candy. Oh, yes. yeah. So if Keith wins, the audience will all get Halloween candy. But if Becca wins, she can do whatever she wants to it. She could take it all home, she could step on it, she could light it on fire, or she could share it with the audience, I don't know. It's all up to her. Pumped. <laughs> so, are y'all ready to play my least favorite murder? Are you ready? <laughs> yes, ma'am. All right, Kita, take it away with the first okay, question. Okay, question one. In Sleepaway Camp, which character was killed by being struck in an outhouse with a live beehive? A. Meg, the person who threw Angela, the film's main character, into the lake. B, Billy the bully who attacked his cousin, her cousin Ricky. C, Edward, a sheriff, investigating the disappearance of a young girl from a small island, discovers there's a larger mystery to solve among the island's secret secretive neo-pagan community. Again, the question is, in Sleepaway Camp, yes. the, which character was killed by being struck in an outhouse with a large beehive. A, B, or C, contestant? The answer is B, and I would like to say, eat shit and live, Bill. <laughs> yes, that's correct, the answer is B. Yeah. Which is a quote Ooh. from Sleepaway Camp, one of my favorite films. This feels like when I took like the ACT, <laughs> and I was like, I'm just gonna pick at random. So The answer is B, Meg was murdered in the shower and Edward was the character portrayed by Nicolas Cage and the Wicker Man, known for dressing <laughs> up as a bear, overreacting, and being murdered by B, screaming, oh no, no, not the beast, not the beast, ah, not the beast, not the beast, The pain must be incredible. Flawless Nicolas Cage, flawless, yes. I love it. Over to you, Ashley. Thank you, Kita. So. Becca, this question is for you. Mm -hmm. The Alfred like Hitchcock that. classic Psycho was the first American film to show what on screen? A, a toilet flushing, B, a cameo by the director, or C, a woman with a short haircut? <laughs> is, it, is it A, a toilet flushing? That is correct! Okay. You guys talked about it, right? That's okay. right. Hitchcock, <laughs> Hitchcock made a number like of cameos in his movies, he, and he made decades prior to Psycho. However, showing a flushing toilet was against the standard set up by the Motion Picture Production Code. Ooh. And throughout the 1920s, the flapper look was in and was reflected in the female hair 
cuts. That's crazy. Right. I feel like they did not do toilet flushing because somebody tried one time and it got clogged. <laughs> they're super embarrassed. Yeah. It's got to be it. It's it's just an unfortunate best boy problem. I want to know yeah. who who, sh- who showed the first clogged toilet on screen. That's <laughs> what I want to know. All right, Keith, your question to Keith. Okay, Keith, are you ready? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. Okay, question number three. In 1998, director Gus Van Zandt released what has been criticized as a shot-for-shot remake of Hitchcock's Psycho. The film starred Anne Heche as Marion Crane and Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. Which one of these actors was not also in the 1998 remake? Viggo Mortensen, who would also... Oh, A, Viggo Mortensen, who would also later star in... Aragorn, as Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings. B, William H. Macy, the character uh, actor known for Fargo, Magnolia, and most re- recently the Showtime series Shameless. Or C, Christian Bale, Batman in Christopher Nolan's Batman and Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. The question again, do you need it reread, sir? You know, I know that okay. Bill Macy was in the movie. I think he played the detective. Okay. Um, God. Between Viggo Mortensen and Christian Bale, Christian Bale, I don't remember seeing Christian Bale in that movie in the remake of Psycho, unless he played like a bit part. Don't look I at mean, me. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> helping you at, at all. Ashley. I'm begging for hints. I'm trying to read like no her, cheating, sir. her uh, eyebrows. You know, I'm gonna say that uh, Christian Bale did not grace the screen in the Psycho remake. Is that your final answer? I I gotta say, yeah. I'm. I'm nervous now. The answer is C, Christian Bale, you are correct. Everybody's getting candy. You're getting uh, candy. And you're getting candy. Don't get ahead of yourself. While Christian Bale would be asking people what they thought of Huey Lewis in the news while wielding a chainsaw, and then that I'm not wearing hockey pads as the Dark Knight, (laughs) he would be beat out by Vince Vaughn for the role of Norman Bates, but both Mortensen and Macy were in the 1998 remake of Psycho. I'm still so confused by that question. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, the the boyfriend. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe I mean William H Macy is good enough that he could probably also be Viggo Mortensen. Take uh, it away, Ashley. <laughs> thank you, Kita. So, uh, Becca, this question is for you, and okay. then we will switch question askers. <laughs> uh, which of the following is a subtitle for a sleepaway camp sequel? Good Lord. A, Teenage Wasteland. B, Angela's Revenge. Or C, What Happens at Sleepaway Camp Stays at Sleepaway Camp. <gasps> Can you give me them again? Oh, I'm going to say t- B, a two. B, that's why I failed my You're going to go with ACT. the number two. ACT, I failed because I put two. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going with B, Angela's Revenge. Yes. Unfortunately, that is oh, incorrect. The answer is A, Teenage Wasteland. That's that was, what, that was my camps. second. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't think it was what happens at sleepaway camp stays at sleepaway Honestly, camp? Honestly, yeah, I did also. Uh, that was my third. It <laughs> was your third out of three? <laughs> Honestly, three times a charm. <laughs> That's how I demand awesome. to play these games. <laughs> <laughs> well, Becca, we're going to stick with you. Kita, if you could ask Becca your next question. Work. Okay. Becca, are you ready? Okay, number five. As rumors suggest that Alfred Hitchcock referred to... Wait. As rumors suggest that Alfred Hitchcock, Hitchcock referred to Norman Bates actor Orthony, Anthony Perkins by what nickname? A, Norm, B, Storm and Norman, or C, Master Bates? I'm just going to gloss over that. C. C. <laughs> 
such a final answer. Oh, God. Maybe, I don't know. Why did you put me in this, actually? <laughs> you sent me an email that was very cryptic. <laughs> and I said, yes, C. Alfred Hitchcock, in fact, referred to him as C. Word, word. Master Bates. While the truth is hard to cooperate, it is a well-documented rumor that the master of suspense referred to Anthony, Anthony Perkins as Master Bates on set. Yes. I knew it. <laughs> Hitchcock is a problematic figure, y'all. Yeah. Uh, so what a weird, like, nickname. Yeah. You know? He was also British, so master. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he did Elizabeth. it on purpose. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> this is not like he accidentally, oh, I had no idea until we were done filming. Also, he's but pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. Freaky. I feel like he has women in his walls, you know? Like, I, I would think? not doubt Like, he's it. probably a serial killer. You know, I, I, I would watch that movie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Keith, I'm going to ask you my next question. It all comes down to this. Which actor made an appearance at the end of M. Night Shyamalan's Split? Was it A, Samuel L. Jackson, B, Bruce Willis, or C, M. Night Shyamalan, who looked dead in the camera and screamed, Twist, motherfucker! As much as I wish that was true, uh, between... Bruce and Samuel, we're talking about? Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson? Split. Now, that's not uh, the sequel. Is that the sequel to, uh, bro like, uh, what is it? Uh, Shatterproof? What is it? Don't look at me for Unbreakable. Unbreakable? Yeah. Is it? Technically. Okay. Okay, fuck. They were both in that. Uh, I'm going to say the cameo was by Bruce Willis because nobody wanted him on set for more than one hour. That is correct. Oh. Bruce Willis. Bruce always wins. We're going to wrap up soon. Uh, so, Kita, if you wouldn't mind asking yes. one last question. Okay, final Becca. question. Now, this is for the tie. If you don't answer this right, then you lose. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, I do. Okay, <laughs> now here we go. Who was the first choice to play fan favorite character Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs? Is it A, Anthony P Hopkins? B, Sean Connery, or C, Daniel Day-Lewis. Who was the first choice? Wait, give me the options again. No, this <laughs> is not your question. Who was the first choice to play fan <laughs> favorite character Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs? A, Anthony Hopkins, B, Sean Connery, or C, Daniel Day-Lewis? You have 10 seconds to answer the question. Oh my God, lies. Do uh, do I want to say, do. I want to say uh, Sean Connery. Is that your final answer? Yeah. I'm probably wrong. And the answer is B, Sean Connery. Oh. <laughs> Director Jonathan Demme, or? Yeah, Jonathan Demme. I feel like Jonathan he was a, another old graying man. And talking about the film, said that Sean Connery was the first to receive the script and that word came back shortly that he thought it was disgusting and wouldn't dream of playing that part. Wow. <laughs> what a fun yep. role, though. So, Keith, you have one more yeah. chance. And then we're going to talk about whether this, whether Psycho was transphobic and whether it was enjoyable. Now you need this to wrap up the mm -hmm. win. Right. You could give candy to everyone. <laughs> Ed Gein was said to be the inspiration for Robert Bloch's novel, which made up the basis of, of Psycho. Right. Which of the following movie killers does not credit Gein as an inspiration? Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Michael Myers from John Carpenter's Halloween, or Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs? Well, Leatherface is definitely based on Ed Gein. Uh, who was the third one? Um, Third one was Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill is is basically is Ed Gein. So the answer, I must say, is B. Michael Myers. Nothing to do with Eddie Gein. Who knows what he did with his victim skins? We'll see that movie next is year. Is that right? The answer is Michael Myers. 
The audience gets candy. Thank you. All right. So, <laughs> Becca, Keith, thank you so much. Honestly, I'm pissed. Thank you so much for coming out. Uh, we need to do ask the question that we ask at the end of every episode. Is it transphobic? And is it enjoyable? You can do this one to ten. You can do this with a noise. However you feel you would like to do this. Let's start with, is it transphobic? What do you think? I'm going to say no. I don't think it's transphobic. I think it's otherphobic in that sense of like, any time you see someone behaving in a way that doesn't seem to fit normal society, it probably means they're a serial killer. But I don't think that the movie is trying to really imply anything specific about trans people. And I actually think that as problematic as the ending monologue does, it does tell me a little bit about the intent of the film. The fact that they make the point of saying, he's a transvestite, by which they mean any kind of gender non-conforming person. No, he's not. He has multiple personality disorder, which we also are going to stigmatize and make up stuff about. But I, I think that I can say it's not transphobic. People watching it are transphobic and will interpret that. Wikipedia says that the uh, movie is about a man with gender dysphoria. And yes, it actually said gender dysphoria, which means it's been updated recently. Mm. So the, the audience is, but I don't, I don't think the movie is. Okay. Did you find it enjoyable? Am I supposed to add? Supposed yeah, to let's, add let's do both. Did I found it enjoy? very enjoyable. Um, it's my kind of uh, scary movie because it's old enough that I can engage with it without being frightened because I sort of, I can watch it and understand how it like the cinematography and the storytelling and as a sort of intellectual exercise, but since it's a more old school, I thought it was great. I thought it was beautifully filmed. The fact that they did it with the TV crew was really fascinating to watch. And I could see like where all these, you know, a lot of these tropes and, and techniques were pioneered for the first time and that was amazing. So yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Awesome. Joe? Um, mildly, yeah. Mildly for both? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's mildly transphobic. I mean, like, it, like the intent isn't, but I think the impact is there, and mm. therefore that's what matters more. Um, but so yeah, mildly. Mm. They weren't, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, did find it enjoyable. Same thing. I also don't really like horror. I like monster movies as far as like horror goes, like hmm. things with claws and things, it's great. Yeah. But, but like people mind. being creepy, I don't love so much. Hmm. Ropes is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely homophobic, but great. Yeah. <laughs> um, that didn't sound good, that sentence, but um, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yes, enjoyable. Sorry, Miles. Um, I would say uh, I don't think it's transphobic. Um, I think it's just confused. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird, right? The way that's Where am I first? I know. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to say I think that uh, overall as a film, it's very progressive. Um, there's a lot of throwaway uh, statements. That when at one point they're they're in a store, a general store, and they're talking to this woman, and she goes, she's talking about killing insects, and she's like, well, they tell you what's in it, but they don't say if it's painful, and I believe if it's insects or humans, it should be painless. And I just, um, and, and how and Miriam being such a strong character, like when the cop pulls her over and she's like, essentially like, who, who the hell are you? I don't have to answer these questions. 
Um, I think it was very progressive for its time. Um, you know, so uh, I don't think it's transphobic. I think that, it, uh, again, people watching it can always put, oh, the reason that this was a murderer is because they were trans and they didn't know how to deal with it, which is like nonsense. Like, as far as I know, we ain't killing anybody. Um, You're the one who wants to wear George Clooney. <laughs> George Clooney. <laughs> uh, and I will say, uh, it's very enjoyable. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, so yeah. Awesome. Uh, I say it's transphobic in the way that, uh, again, impact versus uh, intent, but at the same time, yeah, I don't think that they meant it, and I think that they did for their time try to figure out a way to, to talk about it, but uh, again, as Joe pointed out, it's kind of hot garbage in that sense. Uh, but for that, uh, I love it. I think it's great. Uh, I think that he does a really good job making you feel like you are an accomplice to these uh, to these murders and crimes, and I think it's really interesting. Awesome. So thank you all so much for coming out. Uh, it was great to see you. Uh, and if you are around, check out our website. We're going to have a website soon at isittransphobic.com and check out our Twitter at isittransphobic. Thank you so much. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The Is It Transphobic logo was created by Phoenix Sweeney, and you can see more of their work at tinylionroars.github.io. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com.